The Lord be with you, and also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. We welcome you, welcome you to Marsh Chapel on this last Sunday of worship before embarking on a new school year here at Boston University. Uh, we thank you for joining us together in scripture and song and praise of God today. Whether you are seated here in the nave of the chapel, listening live via WBUR at 90.9 FM in the greater Boston area, listening over the internet at WBUR.org, or listening later via our podcast, please know that you are a valued part of our community. My name is Dr. Jessica Chica, and I have the pleasure of serving as the University Chaplain for International Students here at Marsh Chapel. Our Dean, the Reverend Dr. Robert Allen Hill, is traveling this week and sends his warm regards to each of you. Today we welcome our colleague and friend, the Reverend Dr. Karen Coleman, back to the pulpit of Marsh Chapel. Reverend Dr. Coleman serves as the Chapel Associate for Episcopal Ministry here at Boston University. We look forward to the message she will provide today. We gather today to worship God and be reminded of the divine gifts of grace and love which join us together in the body of Christ. Let us stand as we are able in praise of God. God, that your church, being gathered together in unity by your Holy Spirit, may show forth your power among all peoples, to the glory of your name, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, 
forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. We now enter into a time of reflection on both the things we have done and the things we have left undone that might burden us throughout our days. As the choir sings the Kyrie, let us pray, Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. hear the good news. God, who is rich in mercy, loved us even when we were dead in sin and made us alive together with Christ. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 58, verses 9 through 14. If you remove the yoke from among you, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil. If you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom be like the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your needs in parched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters never fail. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt and you shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to live in. If you refrain from trampling the Sabbath, from pursuing your own interests on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, serving your own interests, or pursuing your own affairs, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride upon the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of your ancestor Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
A lesson from the Epistle to the Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 18 through 29. You have not come to something that can be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words make the hearers beg that not another word be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even an animal touches the mountain, it shall be stoned to death. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse the one who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused the one who warned them on earth, how much less will will we escape if we reject the one who warns from heaven? At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth but also the heaven. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of what is shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us give thanks, by which we offer to God an acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For indeed, our God is a consuming fire. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And now please join me in reading verses from Psalm 103 with the Antiphon. soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and do not forget all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity and who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good as long as you live so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works vindication and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Beloved, as you are able, please rise for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of today's gospel.
The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 13, verses 10 through 17. Glory to you, O Lord. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And just then there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over and was quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. When he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, There are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to give it water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? When he said this, all his opponents were put to shame, and the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things that he was doing. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. not be part of our own or another's oppression. Please be seated. It was a perfect late fall day. You know one of those days where the warmth of the sun on your face and the light jacket that you are wearing has everybody remarking to each other that it looks like a mild New England winter may be in the making. 
If it could only feel like this in February, that would be wonderful. Nodding in agreement with your friends with the full knowledge that New England winters never work like this. I had been ordained to the priesthood two months prior and was serving as an assistant priest in a parish west of Boston. The beginning of the church year was in high gear. Parish activities were fully underway. Church school, Bible study, pastoral response ministry, cooking lunch for those on the margins, the resale shop, to name a few of the goings on. That day, I had just returned from visiting Ellen, one of our homebound parishioners. While her body didn't allow her to attend Sunday worship, her mind was sharp and her quick wit always provided for a delightful visit. I walked into the office and our parish administrator said, Rob called and said his son was gone and is sobbing uncontrollably. He wants either you or the rector to call him immediately. I must note here that due to the sensitivity of the, the nature of this story, I am using pseudonyms. Rob and his family were a fixture in town. His wife was his high school sweetheart. His sons were smart, popular, and handsome, and played a lot of sports. I called and said, hi, Rob. M said, call you. Rob replied, my son is gone. My son is gone. Still sobbing uncontrollably. I said, I'm on my way to your house right now. On my way out of the door, the rector was getting out of his car, having had run out to meet with someone and grab some lunch. I said, hand me your sandwich. Rob just called and said his son is gone. I was on my way to the house, but feel that it is better that you go. I'll stay here and hold space. The rector called me a little while from Rob's house and said that Rob's son, who was a freshman in college, had taken his own life. It hit all of us like a brick wall. Rob's wife and his mother were both in shock. The entire town was in shock. News travels fast in a small town. Many of our youth group members and their friends came to the church and op wept openly. Many parents came to the church and wept openly and held their children close. Many people who we never met came to the church as a place of solace. Later that evening, I was sitting in my office, which overlooked the side street where the church was located, and saw three police cars and an ambulance pull up and run into a house three doors up the street from the church. I only saw flashlights scanning a corner room when more students came into my office. We found out the next day that a young person had taken their life. In the following weeks, there would be additional young people who would take their own lives. And air hung heavy everywhere in the town. Parents were fe fearful. Youth were fearful. The schools partnered with the town and houses of worship to be with each other, to provide support, to hold space, to offer a shoulder or a meal, to provide love. An entire town was weighed down with grief. I don't know if the expression, we made it through, is an apt description. However, we were all bent over carrying the weight of the world, the weight of grieving parents, the weight of grieving young people, the weight of an entire town. What I do know is that people in this town and surrounding towns came together, supported each other, cooked for each other, held each other, cried with each other, held space with each other when on some days that was all that we could offer. 
Rob and his family have moved out of town, but is still active in the church, and he serves on the Foundation for Suicide Prevention. The school system and the houses of worship still work together, most recently to uh, address the opioid epidemic among young people. A tragedy brought people together. It is love and an awareness that no one should have to shoulder anything alone that still keeps them together. I want us to try something this Sunday. You know they say when we are tense, we hold our shoulders up near our ears. So please try this. Hold your shoulders up to your ears in a tense position. Then try to move your head to the left. Now to the right. It's hard. And now try and move your body to the left, to the right. It's hard. Now let go with an exhale. There's an expression, he or she looks like they are carrying the weight of the world on their shoulders. What we did was an example of that statement. When you are carrying the weight of the world, it's hard to move. We don't know what weight the bent over woman was carrying. Perhaps she was a victim of some sort of oppression. Perhaps her binary pronoun did not match a non-binary authenticity. Perhaps she was a victim of domestic abuse. If it wasn't for the fact that she was bent over, she would, would just be another woman going on with her day-to-day -day activities. But Jesus noticed that she was carrying the weight of the world and had been for so long that people assumed that she had an infirmity. But Jesus sees her suffering and heals her on the Sabbath. Notice here that Jesus approaches the woman, not the usual healing stories of the infirmed approaching Jesus for healing. In the second half of the gospel, the woman recedes from the narrative and we move into Jesus' encounter with the leader of the synagogue. It is not the healing that concerns the leader of the synagogue. It's that Jesus heal, heals on a Sabbath day. The Sabbath was meant to be a complete day of rest as God has rest, had rested on the seventh day. No work was to be done, no farming, no fishing, no shopping, no cooking, no healing. The leader was caught up in the winds and wares of the letter of the law by pointing out that this was not the day. Pick another day to heal. But Jesus saw the same law quite differently. The law did not trump God's action when it came to God's children, especially this child of God, this daughter of Abraham. From where Jesus stood, what better way to honor the Sabbath than by setting a captive free? That is why he came after all. Early on in Luke's gospel, Jesus made known his work in the world as he read the words of Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The invitation that Jesus gave the woman who was carrying the weight of the world on her shoulder is the same invitation that he extends to us today. Jesus says, stand up, breathe, and let your shoulders down with whatever the weight of the world that you are bearing. He invites us to stand up and be transformed, to be released from the things that leave us bent over, 
feeling low and less than, to be released from whatever bondage messes with our self-worth and our self-esteem. We are invited to come out from the shadows and valleys and into the light of God's amazing and healing love. So many times we put our best foot forward and never let on how burdened we really may feel. Some of us come into a place of worship with our brokenness and we feel that if we keep a smile on our face and pretend that everything is all right, that no one will ever know the weight of what we are facing. Once inside places where we think we are safe, we are still unable to look up and see the world around us. We may feel alone or forgotten. We may struggle to see and remember that God is present. But like the woman who stood tall in the synagogue that day, we are children of a loving and caring God. God's grace working among us and through us helps us to stand up straight. This week in the news release from the Public Affairs Office of the Episcopal Church of the Presiding Bishop, the Right Reverend Michael Curry and the Episcopal Bishop of the Diocese of Southern Virginia, the Right Reverend James B. Magnus, have invited Episcopal churches to take part in the national action to remember and honor the first enslaved Africans who landed in English North America this week in 1619. The bishops have, have asked that Episcopal churches toll their bell for one minute today at 3 p.m. Eastern time. To quote Bishop Curry, I am inviting us as the Episcopal Church to join in this commemoration as part of our continued work of racial healing and reconciliation. At 3 p.m., we can join together with the people of other Christian faiths and people of all faiths to remember those who came as enslaved, who came to a country that one day would proclaim liber liberty. And so we remember them and pray for a new future for us all. Bishop Magnus, in his response, says, the 2019 commemoration of the arrival of the first enslaved Africans to North America is for me a highly personal occasion. As a descendant of slaveholders and as a white man who came of age in the racially polarized South during the 1950s and 1960s, I am painfully aware of my own complicity in furthering and perpetuating the subjugation of my African-American brothers and sisters. At a time when racial divides in this country seem to be growing rather than diminishing, we are in dire need of a moment, an event, when we can stop and take stock of our responsibilities to bring races together, perhaps in a new manner that truly is an embrace of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. The Right Reverend Susan Goff, Bishop Suffragan of the Episcopal Diocese of Virginia, further notes, the first African Americans, the first African people were brought to this country in harrowing and dehumanizing circumstances. As we remember the 400th anniversary of their survival, I pray that we will do the hard work of reconciliation that God longs for us to do. God, forgive us. God, give us courage and resolve. And God, bless us. On the cover of the New York Times Magazine section of August 16th, there is a gray-hued photo of water, and the caption below reads, In August of 1619, a ship appeared on this horizon near Port Comfort, a coastal port in the British colony of Virginia. 
It carried more than 20 enslaved Africans who were sold to the colonists. America was not yet America, but this was the moment it began. No aspect of the country that would be formed here has been untouched by the 250 years of slavery that followed. The 1619 Project, a major initiative from the New York Times, was born not only to chronicle that day, but to place the consequences of slavery at the center of a larger story that we tell ourselves about where we are as a country. You can find the entire article and supporting and educational material on the New York Times website. My sisters and brothers, I want to tell you, there is no day, week, hour, or moment that the God who formed and created us does not see our plight or hear our cries. Our God energizes us and gives us hope no matter what trial, burden, or injustice we might face. And God gives us one another to share in that hope. I would like to stand before you and preach that we are beyond being bent over carrying the weight of the world. But we all are aware that we recently we have witnessed firsthand the actions of the weight that is being pressed down on innocent children, the weight being pressed down on those who feel they are not heard, the weight of families whose loved ones have died as a result of gun violence. We are never in a position in God's eyes to oppress another belittle another, scare or gaslight another, or to act like another is less than. The thought that it doesn't happen here, it won't happen here, it doesn't apply to me, disconnects us from the love of God and from our neighbor. Like so many prophets, known and unknown, past and present, like Jesus himself, we have been put on this earth so that we might find a way to ease another's pain and release from bondage and set them free. To raise a people and children who will stand tall, knowing that they are precious children of God and worthy to share in God's love. It was the Sabbath day when the woman, when the bent over woman was told to stand, and stand she did and praised God. With God's help, any day is a good day to help others stand. Amen. Beloved, as we are called to prayer through the singing of Lead Me, Lord, we invite you to pray as you are so moved to best support the prayers of our community. Stand or kneel at the altar rail, raise your hands in your place, respond in a language other than English, however you are moved by the Spirit. Our prayers this morning are shaped by the Iona community in Scotland, and we give them thanks for their gifts of liturgy. I will set the intention, and then I will say, in your grace, if you would please respond, hear our prayer. Dearly beloved, in peace, let us pray to God.
gracious, loving, holy, and one. We bring to you someone who we have met or remembered today and for whom we want to pray. In your grace, hear our prayer. We bring to you someone who is hurt and needs our prayer and your healing. In your grace, hear our prayer. We bring to you a troubled situation in our world. In your grace, hear our prayer. We bring to you an area of the natural world or a companion creature population that we love. In your grace, hear our prayer. We bring to you a person or group who reveals your love and justice at work in the world. In your grace, hear our prayer. We bring to you silently someone who we find it hard to forgive or to trust. In your grace, hear our prayer. Remembering especially our own, Boston University rising junior Erin Edwards and her loved ones, we pray for those who have died with thanksgiving for their life and work amongst us, for their family, friends, and colleagues, for your will fulfilled in them, and for our sharing with all your saints in the life to come. In your grace, hear our prayer. We bring to you a celebration or something that contents us with thanksgiving. In your grace, hear our prayer. We bring ourselves to you that we may grow in generosity of spirit, in clarity of mind, in warmth of affection. In your grace, hear our prayer. We continue our prayer as our Savior Christ has taught us to be bold and say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Good morning. We welcome you again to Marsh Chapel on this somewhat cool summer Sunday morning. 
Thank you for joining us as a part of our community of worship today. In a spirit of friendship, we ask those of you seated in the pews that you locate the red booklets at the end of each pew toward the center aisle and enter your name and contact information. This helps us to get to know you better and you to get to know one another better. After the service, all are invited for lemonade and light refreshments under the portico on the left side of the chapel as you're exiting. So right, go out the left door when you're leaving the narthex. We ask for your continued support of our efforts to update the Marsh Chapel photo directory. Uh, Please see our director of hospitality, Heidi Fremanis Quartz, after the service if you are interested in submitting a photo for the directory. Please join us next Sunday for the University Service of Matriculation here at Marsh Chapel at 11 a.m. as we welcome new students to the Boston University campus. We invite all members of the Marsh Chapel community to join us for the Dean's Garden Party on the BU Beach located behind the chapel on Thursday, September 5th from 4.30 to 6 p.m. Late refreshments will be served. And our our, um, Sunday morning study group will begin on Sunday, September 8th at 9.45 a.m. downstairs in the Thurman Room. This semester, they will be reading Anne Lamott's newest book, Almost Everything Notes on Hope. The Reverend Dr. Karen Coleman and Marsh Associate Tom Batson will facilitate the conversation around that book. Books are available in the Marsh Chapel main office, and there is a suggested donation of $15 per book. For all other news and upcoming events, please visit our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as the chapel website at bu.edu chapel, where there is also the opportunity for online giving. Now as the ushers wait upon us for the offering, may, may we remember that it is a gift and a discipline to be a giver.
gift may be. All that we have is thine alone, a trust, O God, from thee. Bless these gifts and the givers, we pray, and those who receive them, as we give them with praise and thanksgiving. Amen. Merciful God, return us now to working and relating in our world. Return us stimulated by hope, strengthened by faith, and directed by love. Thus, we are heartened to reconcile all people created, redeemed, and sustained by you. In the name of God, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs> 